continue worshiping together today, siblings, I invite you to turn your Bibles or your Bible apps to the book of Joshua, the 24th chapter, beginning in the first verse. And let us receive together the word of God. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your ancestors, Terah and his sons Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates and served other gods. But then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. Now, therefore, revere the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your ancestors served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Now, if you are unwilling to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you shall serve, whether the gods your ancestors served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods, for it is the Lord our God who brought us and our ancestors out from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery, and who did these great things in our sight. He protected us all along the way that we went, and among all the peoples through whom we passed, and the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore we will also serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, we will serve the Lord. And then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. And he said, then put away your foreign gods that are among you and incline your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve and him we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made statutes and ordinances for them at Shechem. Receive what the Spirit is saying. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Lord, send forth your Spirit and renew the face of the earth. Bring a word on the wings of your grace that we might receive what you have for us today. 
move through me, in spite of me. Do what you need to do, O God, that your word might land in the places that it needs to land. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The people of Israel have finally arrived in the promised land. Joshua, Moses' successor, is the son of Joseph, the one who was sold into slavery in Egypt by his brothers, the one who rose to great power as an aide to an Egyptian pharaoh. Joseph's presence and leadership during the famine was a catalyst for the Israelites landing in Egypt in the first place, where they grew too numerous in a way that threatened a new pharaoh of another generation, a pharaoh who proceeded to enslave them. We know the story from there. Moses, Passover, Exodus, wilderness, conflict, and conquest. And now, Joshua gathers the tribes for a covenant-making ritual in the land that was promised. This moment is a significant point of transition for the nation, a decision point about what kind of nation Israel will be and how they will live together in a new context. They bring into that context a reality in which God and militarism and tribalism and religious commandments are all mixed up in a complicated soup. And the historical players, those whose names are etched into the narrative as on stone monuments, from Abraham to Joseph to Moses to Joshua, they all carry with them plenty of complicated baggage themselves. This is a moment when Israel is ostensibly trying to create a community that is grounded in the high ideals of the Mosaic law with love of God and love of neighbor at the center. But they seek to build that community on conquered land as a people who bear the scars of a history of slavery. Israel has gotten where they are now through violent military conflict and plunder. And within their own nation, there are rifts and rivalries between the tribes. Just so we're tracking, how does this story resonate with our own in this moment in the United States of America? High ideals and lofty vision 
Check. Been through some stuff. Check. Conquered and stolen land. Check. Scars, deep scars of slavery. Check. Imperfect historical leaders who've been both brave and good and selfish and terrible. Check. Fueled and formed by instruments of war. Check. Rifts and rivalries between tribes. Well, check. God's name and character stirred often dubiously into the mix. Check. A central grounding narrative of our faith is the story of the exodus from Egypt, the liberation of Israel from slavery and their long journey in the wilderness, trusting in the promise of a land flowing with milk and honey. The wilderness narrative is my go-to in seasons like the year 2020 or really in any time of intense struggle, lack, or uncertainty. The promise that God receives the cries of the unlikely ones, the powerless and the oppressed, that God acts as an advocate and a guide to liberate and to upend the unjust systems in ways that bring greater equity, in ways that lead to a promised land of new life and new opportunity. I love this. It gives me a frame and a hope when things feel hopeless. And I believe that's appropriate. I think there's truth in it. But I will say that I don't like thinking about the part of the wilderness wandering that includes the more complicated, unsavory baggage. I don't like thinking about how in the scriptural record, God gets saddled with responsibility for the violence done as our ancestors marched toward what they believed was their entitled do. I don't like thinking about how the high ideals for the new kind of community in the new land were compromised by the way that the new land was acquired through conquest and displacement. I don't like thinking about how there was conflict and power posturing among the people at every turn along the way. I don't like thinking about how easy it is, even for an oft-conquered people, to tell this story from the perspective of the conqueror without even acknowledging the voices of the conquered.
Sometimes we need to tell the hard, complicated truth of our history to be able to truly step into God's new thing. To tell the hard truth doesn't mean that we erase anything. It doesn't mean that we don't acknowledge the beautiful and brave and honorable parts. Rather, it simply asks that we are willing to look at the fullest picture and to name what we've ignored, who we've ignored, what we've gotten wrong where harm has been done, the things and the people we need to care for if we truly want to live the ideals and values and faith that we profess. Because until we do that, we're likely to remain enslaved to myths and lies. We're in a moment in which our nation's history is catching up with us. I'm not learned enough in the various dynamics, nor do I have time today to try to sum it all up in any comprehensive way. But I dare say choices that have been made from the very founding of our nation, choices made by public officials and by private citizens and residents have had consequences. And we are currently in a moment of reckoning with those consequences, the good, the bad, the ugly. The struggle to create community aligned with our highest ideals is at a point of boiling over. We know that poverty and systemic racism leave thousands upon thousands of our siblings vulnerable to indignities and violence of various kinds every day. That reality has only gotten worse in recent years. We know that the impoverished and people of color have been most cruelly impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic that has to date killed more than 237,000 of our siblings in this country. And if we are willing to be honest about our recent history, we know that lies and mismanagement knowingly allowed the pandemic to get so out of hand. And what we're also experiencing right now, as one journalist has written, is the way that events of the past four years have divided seemingly like-minded people of goodwill, friends, relatives, neighbors, professional colleagues, people of similar backgrounds who theoretically should align politically, but don't, and who have a hard time feeling anything but contempt for the other. We're in a place where we cannot imagine how others can actually support who or what they support and vice versa. We cannot even agree on what the issues are 
much less have a meaningful conversation about them that might leverage our different approaches to possible solutions. And today we know that a large number of our siblings in this nation are feeling grief and fear and confusion and rage. And a large percentage of us are feeling relief and hope and utter joy, even as we know there is so much work ahead of us. And there are many who will be having a challenging mix of emotions and thoughts as we try to process the most extreme, hateful reactivity in these days. Some among us will want revenge or damage done. Some will not trust anything being said by anyone. Today we find ourselves in a moment in which we, like the tribes of Israel, have some choices to make. Those choices have at their core a central question. What God will you serve? Because the kind of God we serve makes a difference for better or for worse. Our faith, the God whom we serve, forms our sense of purpose, our priorities, our values, our understanding of what it means to be human and how to be in community. The God whom we serve will help us know how to respond in the days and months ahead of us. The kind of God we serve matters. The God that we serve, I believe, will guide us and help us to respond in the days and months ahead as citizens of the kingdom of God who are part of this nation. And the God whom we are called to serve as citizens of the kingdom of God is a radically free God, unbound to any political system, party, or politician, yet always working deep among us for the sake of what is right. The God whom we serve is the God who gives us, gives us freedom, freedom and power to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves, to stand against anything that does harm to our neighbors, that denies dignity, that steals children or separates families, that harms the planet, that intentionally stirs the reptilian energies of our nature instead of the better angels. Our God is the God who helps us to have courage, to be honest about our history, to be peacemakers, to love and listen when it would be easier to hate and dismiss. Our God sends spirit to encourage and inspire people to tirelessly work over years in ways that most people will never know about to do the things that really move the needle 
that bend the moral arc toward justice, that further the cause of the kingdom. Our God doesn't abandon us in our stubbornness and our foolishness, but instead continues to draw near to try to help us perceive how to get to the promised land without destroying everything and everyone in our path. Regardless of the election outcome, whatever it had been, our choice today would have been the same. Will we seek to serve a God who calls us to sacred resistance, which is from start to finish about love, love that looks upon each person with a desire for their well-being, love that looks upon human community with a desire for healing and for peace with justice. Love that looks into all creation with a desire for mending and for reverence. Love that is compassionate and merciful. Love that is stubborn and sacrificial. Love that is patient and kind, not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude not insisting on its own way, not irritable or resentful, not rejoicing in wrongdoing, but rejoicing in the truth. This is how God loves the world. This is how God loves you. This is how God created us. This is the love God created us to choose and to live. I heard it said recently that a focus on love is weak. It's for wimps. You know that whole tough guy thing? Yeah, you may not know it. I know that whole tough guy thing. That's what that is. But I'll just quote the Bible. Love is stronger than death. Hate, that's easy. Love is the challenge. At a certain point, like the Israelites of old, we simply have to make a decision about whether we're serious about loving God and loving neighbor whether we're serious about living the promise or if we just want to keep talking about it. So what's it going to be? I, of course, pray that we do more than talk, which I know many of us do. I pray that we will continue to be and to become a community of sacred resistance, a community willing to be bold and humble, to risk getting things wrong as we try to get it right for the sake of love and justice, 
to be a people who can honestly say, trusting in God's help. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Amen.